Amen. Boy, now, isn't that a great testimony? Did you sing that, believing that? Was the I in that song you? That you know you have a destiny? You know you have a, a task? You know that God's hand is upon you? You know that He chose you somewhere in the past? Even though there came that glorious day when, as far as we're concerned, we chose Him. We heard the gospel. We said, I need to be saved. I, I need to be forgiven of my sin. We make choices but how good to know that before we ever thought of him, he thought of us. And he chose us and he announced his plans for us and, and he is part of what is going on right now. And so our destiny today is really this day, this very moment. And this moment, we're going to open God's word and see what he has to say to us. And so let's bow in prayer and ask him to just work his way in our heart. Heavenly Father, your word has stood the test of time. It was first, first recorded over a thousand years before Jesus was born. And it announced events that took place far earlier than that. It's now been 2,000 years since Jesus was born. And all the book is completed. In fact, we're getting the privilege of studying the very last book, the final one. We've commented all of Jesus' disciples, except for John, had already entered their heavenly home before this book of Revelation was written. And yet we have it. For such a time as this, I believe, it was given to us. So, Father, just bless us through its message once again today, for we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'll tell you, I can't tell you how excited I actually am and what a privilege it is to share with you Hope Generating Revelation 18. That's the one we have today, and here's how we describe it. The revelation of the song of the tribulation saints. Specifically, the song of Moses and of the Lamb. And here's, her, here's where we find it. Oh, thank you. Linda said she was going to do that. The, the song of Moses and of the Lamb. Let's read about it. Revelation chapter 15, verses 1 to 4. We'll have it on the screen, but you might follow along there at home as well. John says, I saw in heaven another great and marvelous sign. Seven angels with the seven last plagues last because with them God's wrath is completed. So we're getting near the end of God's plan for this earth. We're going to be looking at what is coming next week that these angels get involved in. But John says it started by seeing them. And when he saw them, he realized we're getting near the end. The end of God's judgment. But before he reveals how that judgment comes out, he says this, And I also saw what looked like a sea of glass mixed with fire. A sea of glass mixed with fire, flaming, and standing beside the sea, those who had been victorious, remember that word, victorious, over the beast and his image and over the number of his name. 
Now, I would suggest to you that these that John sees standing beside the sea, these who have been victorious over all the demonic forces of the tribulation days, these are the very ones that we saw last week, Jesus harvesting from the earth. These are the tribulation saints. These are the ones who have now arrived in heaven itself. And all their, all their challenges on earth are now over. We saw them last week. And John says, now seeing them beside this flaming sea, he says they held harps. Harps given to them by God, and they sang, here we go, the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. And here's the song. Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. We sang part of this song this morning. It's a great, great statement. Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the ages. Who will not fear you, O Lord, and bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. What an image. Here they are. All this vast company. We first saw them in, in chapter 7. This vast throng that came out of the earth. The tribulation saints, the, the TSs we call them. And the great news here for them is the 144,000 are not the only tribulation heroes who get to sing a special song. Now we saw in the past, the 144,000, of course, they get to sing a song, the Bible says, that is theirs and theirs alone. They are special servants of God. 144,000 taken from the 12 tribes of Israel, 12,000 from each tribe, and when they arrive before the throne of God, they sing a song that, that nobody else, in fact, John says, nobody else can learn it. Nobody else can sing it. It's uniquely theirs. Well, they have that going for them. But here we see the tribulation saints. The tribulation saints get to sing a song that will be forever linked with them. Though others will get to sing it as well. This will be the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb that is specifically identified with, with these great heroes of the faith. It's the song of Moses, the song of the Lamb. It's a song that blends the old and new covenants together. Moses wrote a number of songs in the Old Testament. It says, and Moses gave them a song, and he gave them a song. In fact, Psalm 90 is entirely a psalm, a song of Moses. But here, combined with the song of Moses, Combined with what Moses knew of a delivering God is added the song of the Lamb. And you can say here we have the Old and the New Testaments put together in a, in a beautiful completed package. Moses and Jesus. What a songwriting team. Maybe they begin to work it out on the day they met on the Mount of Transfiguration. Remember that day? Jesus was transfigured in front of his three disciples and Moses and Elijah were there and talked to him. 
Maybe they started right there to think about this. You see, one member of the songwriting team, Moses, had been used by the Father to rescue the people of Israel from their physical bondage in the kingdom of Egypt. While the other member of the songwriting team, Jesus, had been used by the Father to deliver all of us who would become the Father's children from our spiritual bondage in the kingdom of darkness. Remember, darkness trembled at his voice? Indeed, it did. And then when the time was right, 144,000 Jewish followers of Jesus, the ones that had the seal of God on their forehead, the ones that ministered during the days of the tribulation, could not be harmed, but they spoke for God. These 144,000 that preached the word, I believe, these then taught the song to all who would be saved. It's a special tribulation song. And I believe all those who, uh, if there was ever a Billy Graham in that day moment, that when, when you come forward in those days, it would not be just as I am. They would be coming forward to the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb that forever was identified with these being saved out of that most dire time. It'd be the 144,000 who taught that song, who preached that song, who communicated the truth behind that song, the, the truth of the grace of God, the goodness of God. And that song was learned. And that song was sung by this vast multitude. And John now sees them beside the blazing sea in heaven. We saw them in chapter 7, standing there waving palm branches and wearing brilliantly white robes. This time we see them standing there holding harps. Harps. Remember what we read last week? Revelation chapter 14, verse 2, John says, And I heard a sound from heaven like the roar of rushing waters and like a loud peal of thunder. The sound I heard was like that of harpists playing their harps. That's what we read last week. John says, it sounds like there's a bunch of harpists up here playing their harps, and there's so many of them, and it's so loud, it sounds like a roaring river going by. But can you imagine? Now remember, these tribulation saints, John says, are a company more than any man could number. Now, I don't mean there's not a number for them. God could number them. God knows the number of them. But when you look at them together, you'd say, man, I can't can't even begin to count. I can't even begin to imagine. There had to be millions of them coming out of the tribulation, giving their hearts to Jesus Christ, and now having been harvested from the earth by Christ, brought into heaven, and God gives each one of them a harp. It only makes sense they would play it. So can you imagine the sound of hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of harps being played all at once? John heard it, and he said it sounded like a mighty rushing river. And now, and now John hears these tribulation saints themselves as they stop their strumming and begin their singing. Think of the symbolism. 
They are a set of born-again believers in Jesus who have been led to Christ by those who are truly the offspring of Abraham. 144,000. God's great redemptive work on this old earth is done. Now, next week, we're going to consider what comes next. But this morning, I want us just to be thrilled. I want us just to be thrilled with the majesty and glory of this heavenly moment that John has revealed to us. Consider with me three things, three key things concerning this song these believers were singing. Number one, you note, it's a song of victory. It's a song of victory. John says, And I saw what looked like a sea of glass mixed with fire, and standing beside the sea, those who had been victorious. That's an important word. He doesn't say, And I saw all those who by the skin of their teeth just barely got into heaven, bleeding and bloody and, and wounded and, and weary. Now he uses another word. None of these people get into heaven by the skin of their teeth. None of these people get into heaven having almost lost the war. It says, I saw those who had been victorious. Victorious over what? Victorious over the beast, the Antichrist himself on this earth, and his image that everybody was to bow down in front of, and over the number of his name that all by itself was to be a puzzle and an amazement to people. You see, in even what would seem to be the most hopeless of times, in a time when it would seem that Satan had finally gotten the upper hand on earth, the backstory is one of victory. Can't you just imagine? Can't you just imagine how the thunderous sound of those harps struck Satan's ears? Talk about snatching defeat from the jaws of victory. Talk about hearing the sound of one's impending doom. Talk about sensing the unraveling of all of his schemes. In that moment, he would have sensed it all. I've been defeated. The one I sent into this world, the beast, to dominate, has dominated but not completely, for here are these. Here are these have been victorious over me and everything I have sought to do. Been victorious over the beast that I provided that, that all the rest of the world just cowers in front of, but not them. Not them. He probably would have. And he probably did. I tell you, now, I'm going to use a, a movie line here that my family would understand and, and maybe some of you would understand as well. But as I'm thinking of Satan standing there and these, these triumphant saints who have stared him down, who have taken everything he could deliver and have been victorious over the beast and the image and the number of his name and all of that, 
flashed into my mind this week was a scene <laughs> from one of the Rocky movies. I think it might be Rocky 3, 4, maybe Rocky 27, I'm not sure. But it was the Rocky movie where there was a mighty, mighty opponent named Clubber Lang. And in the pre, early in the movie, this man, this beast of a fighter, younger than Rocky, stronger than Rocky, more determined than Rocky at that point in his life, just beat Rocky to a pulp. And he took the championship away from him. And now there's a rematch. And Rocky has been renewed. He's got a new spirit in him. He's got the old, indomitable will that is raised up again. And, and he's taught how to fight in such a way that don't let this guy even hit you. Don't let him hit you. Just stay away from him. You be a different kind of fighter. And, and in the first round, he did that. And he pummeled that guy. His punches didn't do much damage, but the guy couldn't hit him at all. And finally, in about the second round, the third round, it was like Rocky Balboa says, that's not who I am. That's not who I am. And he begins to fight toe-to-toe, toe-to-toe. And he realizes that this guy is just punching himself out. He's so full of fury and anger and, and, and lack of control that Rocky just starts to let him hit him. And Rocky gets hit, and he gets hit, and then he stares him down and he says, you ain't so bad. You ain't so bad. The worst man on the face of the earth. Ain't so bad. Well, this is what those tribulation saints, if they had an opportunity, would stare right into the eyes of Satan himself and say, you ain't so bad. We took everything you got. And we triumphed over the beast. And we triumphed over his image. And we triumphed over the mystery of his name. And our Savior has brought us home ain't so bad. This is a song of victory. The devil's a defeated foe. He still is. Defeated by Jesus himself. Defeated by these tribulation saints who stood against him in Jesus' name. And they've not even done it yet. Their victory is yet. You know, they're not born yet. They haven't lived yet. Their victory is yet to come. Forever. They will sing their song. And we can sing it ahead of them, thanks to the revelation given to John. Oh, this song, it's a song of victory. Victory that emerges out of the most desperate of times. Secondly, I want us to see it's a song of testimony. The song tells us stuff about God. Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the ages. You alone are holy, completely sinless. Certainly, their victory over the beast and his image and the number of his name would be in the running, I would say, for the greatest and most marvelous deed the Lord God Almighty has ever pulled off. These victorious saints had gone face to face for a period of three and a half years with the very embodiment of evil on this earth. They had not given up. They had not turned away. God had brought them through and shown his marvelous greatness through them. In fact, I should say God will. God will bring them through and will show 
His marvelous greatness through them. Their song testifies to the greatness and the marvelousness of God's deeds. God's actions are grand and glorious. They, they cannot be denied. But this song is a testimony of more than just God's deeds. This song also testifies to God's ways. What underlies the actions that the Father takes in this world? What characterizes his methods, his motives? Well, the song says, Just and true are your ways, King of the ages. You alone are holy. Justice, truth, holiness characterize and stimulate every single thing our Heavenly Father undertakes. How fitting that today, on the 19th day of the month, those of you who follow our monthly worship focus through the month, on this 19th day, the focus is this. My Abba is absolutely just. No discrimination. No falsehood. No sinfulness will ever influence any action he takes. His ways are above reproach or question. No seed of prejudice. No seed of racism exists within the heart of our Heavenly Father. He has placed his image upon all human beings and he sees all of them, all of us, as being of one sort. They, we, are all fallen into sin. They, we, are all susceptible to the most biased of judgments. They, we, are all in desperate need of a Savior and a cleanser. They, we, are all targets for his love. Oh, I tell you, what a time in our national life to make such a statement. You see, the testimony that we Christians should bear is not that we have all risen above these things. It is not that we no longer struggle with feelings of prejudice or preference. Our testimony is that our Heavenly Father does not. Our Heavenly Father does not. Our testimony is that the Son of God who left heaven's glories to redeem man from the, all the ugliness that frames his inner nature that the Son of God does not. And that the Spirit of God Himself who convicts the world of the sins of racism and as every other equally ugly sin, that Spirit of God does not. You see, our testimony, our testimony is not about ourselves. For honesty forces every one of us to say the seeds of all kinds of ugliness still lie within our fallen human nature. And we need to be honest about that. Our testimony, however, is this. In conjunction with the tribulation saints themselves, we testify our marvelous Heavenly Father is 
absolutely just. We throw ourselves on his mercy even as we confess that we fall far short of his example. Indeed, this song testifies of the greatness, the perfection of our Heavenly Father. How good to look upon him and see him as he is. To look upon his son and see what a representation of the Father he is. To look at the Holy Spirit and realize that he, being one sent from the Father and from the Son, brings that exact nature into our existence and seeks to work us over all the rough spots of our own. So it's a a song of victory. And it's a song, a testimony. Third thing and final thing here we say, it's a song of prophecy. Even though this whole situation is in the future as far as we're concerned, these saints are singing about something that's still in their future. They're prophesying about something that, of course, in their life will be soon to come, but it's still future. And here's the prophecy. They say, O Lord, all nations will come and worship before you for your righteous acts. All the things you've done have been revealed. You see, there's coming a day We'll see it later on here pretty quick in the book of Revelation. There's coming a day when Jesus Christ will sit on the throne, the throne of his predecessor, King David, and will rule over the earth in a millennial kingdom on the same old fallen earth, this same God-cursed earth. There's coming a day in its final chapter when the Son of God, in keeping with the promises of God, will sit on a throne that had once been occupied by David and Solomon and the other great kings of the Old Testament people of God. And Jesus will sit on that throne. And there will be nations on earth during that time. All nations, the verse says, will come and worship before you. Yes, there'll be nations on earth during that time. All people who survived the tribulation. Not every human being is going to be killed in, during the tribulation. Not every human being still alive at that point is going to be destroyed by even the judgments of God. There will be human beings left on this earth. When Jesus comes and sets up his kingdom, he will be ruling over all the citizens on earth who are still here. And those who survive the tribulation will populate the earth during the millennium, over that thousand-year period. We say it so glibly, but think about it, a thousand years. What was the earth's population a thousand years ago, and what is it now? What will it be like under a thousand years of the blessed reign of Jesus Christ on this earth? The numbers on this earth will swell greatly, and they will all live under the incredible, loving leadership of Jesus Christ. They will clearly see and be aware, it says, of all of God's righteous works 
and such knowledge will stir feelings of worship within them. All human beings will make it a point to come to Jerusalem and worship the Lord Jesus personally. All nations, it says here, will come. Come where? Come to where he is. Not come to heaven. Come to this glorious kingdom overseen by Jesus Christ. They will come and worship before him. Jerusalem in those days will be earth's ultimate destination. There will be people on one end of the earth, on every corner of the globe, who would say, my, my goal before I die is to, is to get to Jerusalem and see Jesus Christ myself. And the nations will come. They will come to see him. They will come like the Queen of Sheba came to bask in Solomon's glory, though a greater than Solomon by far will be there. It's going to be an incredible kingdom, an incredible period of time. It's not heaven, and we'll see in a few weeks what happens even with Jesus Christ on this earth, leading in a, in a kingdom of godliness and peace and joy, but while he rules over this world, the nations will come and will honor him, will worship him, will acknowledge him, and will seek to be at least sometime in their life in his very presence. It's an earthly kingdom, though. I'll tell you, though, what a, what a picture. What a hope-generating revelation John was given. Let me ask you this, just imagine the tribulation saints have not emerged yet, have they? We're not in the tribulation. We can go through troubled times, but we're not in the midst of what John talks about here. These are, these are anything we might experience today or worry about today or see in government circles today taken to the nth degree. It may be there's not a tribulation saint alive on the world today. That is someone who's going to be a tribulation saint. It may be as fast as we've seen the world turn around in the last few months. It might be that the rapture comes and Satan's candidates for leadership emerge. It might be that could happen in a relatively quick period of time. Maybe every tribulation saint is actually alive today. And will respond to Christ when these things begin to unfold. But here's the point. Whenever the tribulation begins, whenever the first person hears the message preached by the 144,000 and they give their heart to Jesus Christ, just like you and I have done in our day, in our time, this book will be available to them. And they will read about themselves. And I believe the 144,000 will begin to teach them this song. And they will know that at the end of this period, there is a victory. For God's word says so. 
What hope will be generated in the hearts of any besieged person during the tribulation who picks up this book and sees what John saw? Oh, what a, what a purpose it will serve. They will gain great hope as they live and sing their way through the terrible days that they will endure. And now, for us and for them, I just share this final thought. Maybe some tribulation saint might get a hold of this message sometime. Might even read this final thought. So for all of you who might someday be exposed to it, here's what we say, final thought. Singing is the sound of victory. Sing loud. Sing long. In praise to your God. Heavenly Father, we bow before you and we know by your Holy Spirit's revelation and inspiration you've moved us far into the future. You've allowed us to see things that perhaps none of us will ever see with our own eyes. And yet given the wisdom and the power and the purposes of God, it may be that that these things will happen within what would normally be our lifespan. Perhaps the lifespan of our children, our grandchildren. I heard what would be a cute story if it was not so desperate. Heard a story just this last week of a mom in our church saying she's been sharing these things with her, her young adult son. And he said, Mom, if the rapture comes and you're taken away, I'm going to read every one of Pastor Mark's sermons and and come to understand them. Oh, Father, may he, may many come to understand your truth right now and be part of the church of Jesus Christ, the redeemed that, that will go as a collected society into the presence of God. But Father, we thank you that you've shared shared with us things you did not share with the Apostle Paul. You shared things with us that the Apostle Peter never read. Through John's revelation, the Lord Jesus himself chose to share these things. Father, may we be faithful with them. May we encourage others through them. May our own hearts be stirred and Father, may we find hope where hope is to be found and don't let us get caught up in all the schemes and worries and and affairs of men. We belong to you. We will sing our songs and we will testify of your greatness and we will rejoice in your plans and purposes whether we, we see them clearly or not. Father, I pray for this congregation. I pray for every gathering of believers around this country and around the world that we might come to understand our testimony is of our Father, Son, and Spirit, that your works are marvelous. Your ways are sinless. And Father, may we be more like you more like you every day. 
For we ask this in Jesus' name and for the sake of his work in this world. Amen.